Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Hello, this is Hey Dude Shoes. This is an ad, but not for your ears, for your feet. Are they listening? Good. Hey Dude Shoes are the squishiest, airiest, lightest go-to shoes you'll ever have the pleasure of introducing your toes to. So light, a butterfly could steal them. So soft, kittens seethe with jealousy. So cushy, your hands will curse your feet for all the love and attention. Toes, you've hit the jackpot of comfy. Hey dude, good to go to. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody and welcome, boys and girls, to Fruit Loop Season 3, Episode 16. Thank you so, so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, white, cisgender dudes. No, <laughs> there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is the podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, well, the news is racist. Allegedly. <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. Uh-huh. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. 
Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Yeah. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And if you're not on Facebook, you can join the discussion on Twitter or Instagram by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. All of the footnotes for each episode, which articles and other media we use to source this story, the music notes, all that stuff can be found on our website. That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at Cash... If you are listening to this podcast, you already know how to find us. Dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod. <laughs> or you can become a monthly patron through our Pottering Patron page. We also have some merch for sale. Um, my mother still has not bought a mug, so I'm sure that she loves my brothers more than she loves me. On our website at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. And if you can't help monetarily, problem man you can always give us a five-star review on apple podcasts and anywhere else you get your podcast from and this is really really important this is what really helps the show be sure to share our show with your friends all right yeah so who are we talking about today Beth? today we're talking about Rhea and sakina ali hamam sisters who robbed and killed at least 17 women in early 20th century egypt oh me oh my well before we dive into the story Beth, uh, how you doing? I'm all right. Um, my grandson was recently diagnosed with ADHD. Ah. My daughter was having a lot of problems with him because of his behavior. She works at a preschool with special needs kids, so she knows all the tips and tricks for dealing with behavioral issues. Mm -hmm. But he was still pretty challenging for her. Mm -hmm. um, and once he was diagnosed, I think it was a relief to her just to know what the problem mm -hmm. was. She suspected it because he's extremely impulsive and he has the energy of 10 kids. He's exhausting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he does not sit still ever. <laughs> but having a doctor diagnose it rather than... Uh, Dr. Mom diagnosing was really sure, helpful. Sure, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so they got him on a 504 plan at school and uh, things are looking up. That's so awesome. I think that's fantastic yeah. that he got a diagnosis. I, you know, me and your daughter are the same age and our kids are the same age. Right. And I have had the same struggles with my son. Um, and it was just like the teachers would say, wait, you know, wait, wait to get him tested. He doesn't need to be tested. And I was like... He, this kid, there's something going on with him. But, um, right. If if nobody is going to advocate for your kids, it has to be you. Yeah, and the teachers, for whatever reason, the teachers won't. They won't. They ever just pinpoint don't. it. Yeah. No, no. I know exactly. My son got kicked out of preschool because he was too impulsive. Yeah. And it was really, really like frustrating. And we had him evaluated. And so I just I understand that like struggle of like. I know that there's something going on here and I'm doing all this stuff to try to figure it out, but like nobody, it, there's Nobody's sort of this feeling you. like nobody is helping me. Like you guys, you guys yeah. are the experts. I'm just an expert on my kid, but you're an expert on like child development. So help me. Well, you would think so. But what my daughter has found is that uh, they're not. <laughs> it's They're not experts like, in, in these kind of problems. It's Yeah. So I'm I'm just really, really grateful 
that um, yeah, your little grandson has got his his diagnosis because now because now yeah. he has now access. They, they have to help. Yeah, yeah, they have to help, and he yeah. has access to a ton of resources for the rest of his academic career. And what I wanted to bring right. up was um, when I was in college, my best friend worked for the on campus. We had a center for academic resources, and they would hire other students to like. Um, record themselves reading um, books that assigned books that were um, uh, college materials so that kids with ADD or kids with um, dysgraphia or dyslexia um, could um, consume the material um, without having their uh, disability be an impediment. Um, right. They also had um, kids cool. who would sit with, the, they would hire other college students to sit next to them in their classes um, to t- take notes for them. Nice handwritten right. notes. So, so you're, so this is a godsend uh, if you ask me, because again, he's going to be able to take advantage of these um, opportunities to get extra help throughout the rest of his academic career. And again, uh, shout out to your daughter for, for just advocating the shit out of, out of, for her son. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, so, thank you. Yes, absolutely. So now we are going to get into our mailbag and wait a minute. Hello, Wait a diddly doggone minute. We've got listener letters. Okay, <laughs> right so uh, we got a review from Philly a Day 77 uh, via Apple Podcasts. And they said, this podcast has it all. True crime, history, nuanced exploration of race, facts and statistics, context for the crimes, as much attention to the victims as possible, lesser known stories, just the right amount of profanity and laughter, and of course... <laughs> Hip hop air horns. Hey! <laughs> Wendy and Beth put a ton of work into this weekly podcast and it shows. Definitely give this a listen. So thank you. Thank you. Hip hop air Day horns. 77. Yeah. Awesome. And then from Diva787, she said, the true crime I had no idea I needed. <laughs> Beyond fascinating, I am learning and laughing and completely caught up in these stories. Hey. We needed this. <laughs> so entertaining and the wit gives me life. <laughs> hey, That's you so give awesome. Us yes, Diva we do. Thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I got an email from uh, Kariana Tatum. Uh, she says, hi, Wendy and Beth. I'm in my last year of Colorado State University. Shout out to all the college grads. Yep. Hey, and I don't know why you went to such a white institution. We'll talk about that later. And just started getting into true crime podcasts this past summer. I had listened to a few weekly when in my head, it kept nagging at me that I couldn't find any podcast about victims or perps of color. I pretty much chalked it up to what Wendy says. The news is racist, allegedly. No, it is. Uh, I, I just have to say allegedly so we don't get sued. I always muttered the naive serial killing is a white dude thing. So I am grateful and humbled and properly checked by your absolutely hilarious and amazing podcast. That is so sweet. I am blackity black and a proud woman. Again, I don't know why you went to Colorado State. Uh, (laughs) You need to tell us who is deeply enveloped in combating racism in all facets of life. Sidebar, my campus is dealing with a blackface incident. Oh, boy, the blackface. 
Uh, anyway, and the criminal justice systems need some work, honey. Oh, yes, they do. I am so happy your podcast exists. Uh, I try to get my friends to listen, even though they think I'm creepy for liking true crime. <laughs> Fuck them. Uh, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> that's what that's what uh, Michael Jordan said when uh, they were like, Michael Jordan, do you want to be a like leader and like help your community? He was like, Fuck them kids. Anyway, uh, thank you, ladies. <laughs> Thank you, ladies, for being a vital part of exposing the injustices within the legal system and infiltrating yet another white, bright genre. P.S. Have you ever heard of Ed Buck? Uh, oh, yeah. We yeah. talked about yeah. that. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> that white, very problematic man who's killing all the black dudes in his uh, home. Uh Two or possibly more black gay men have uh, suffered fatal drug overdoses at his hands. And he's a white Democratic donor. And check it out. And yes, thank you, sis. We have shouted him out, not in a good way on the podcast, but we have <laughs> brought him up. Because, uh, yeah, it is kind of trash what's going on over Add it. him to our list of uh, bonus episodes. Oh, we should do a yeah. bonus episode on him. Yep, yes. Oh, my yep. God. You know what, Beth? You're amazing. Good idea. <laughs> so um, now we are going to dive into uh, the uh, story, but we're going to take a quick break and then uh, we're going to hit it when we get back. Hi, friends. I'm Alicia. I'm Stacy. We make Trashy Divorces. It's a good podcast about bad relationships. Every week we take two different stories of trashy divorces throughout time. The rich, the powerful, the famous behaving badly. So, so badly. Tune in every Sunday to get your Trashy Divorces fix. It's trash candy for your ears. So now we're going to get into the subject. Um, so who are we talking about again, Beth? We're talking about Rhea and Sakina, Ali Hamam, who are Egypt's most infamous serial killers. Mm. They, their husbands, and two other men began killing women in the Laban neighborhood of Alexandria in the early days of the 20th century. So early days of 20th century, we're talking about World War One time. Yes. Um, They're about pre-internet. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we're going to dive into the stats, which is Wendy's favorite aspect of true crime. So <laughs> brrr, oh, grrr, where's my air horn? There you <laughs> so um, Raya and Sakima are two African sisters from Egypt. Uh, they killed and robbed at least 17 women in Egypt. Um, their spree began in November 1919 and ended a year later in 1920. The sisters, with the help of their husbands, ran a drug and prostitution ring, or I guess sex worker ring now that we're more woke, um, in the Laban district of Alexandria in Egypt. All right. And that's it. Their, th their stats are... Uh, Pretty small. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty small. Yeah. Now we're going to dive into the setting. Yes, where this all took place because we believe context is uh, very important when describing these serial killers. So yes. here we go. So the setting is Alexandria, Egypt, during what is called Egypt's colonial period, when the British occupied Egypt in the early 20th century. Alexandria is on the Mediterranean Sea. It's basically on the northeast tip of the continent of Africa. It was founded by Alexander the Great in 332 BCE. Mm. It's the same as BC, but it stands for before the common era, um, which I guess they're changing, describing the eras as BCE 
and then CE for common era. Oh, uh, so taking the Christianity out of it because BC means before Christ. And then AD stands for a Latin word, meaning in the year of our Lord. So they changed it to take out the religious context. So I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Alexander the Great was the king of the ancient Greek kingdom of Macedon. Interesting factoid. He was tutored by Aristotle. Wow. Aristotle was his tutor? Yes. That's that's really, really interesting. That's a cool fact. Thanks, Beth. Um, Alexander spent most of his ruling years basically empire building. Uh, He went on a military campaign throughout Asia and Northeast Africa. And by the age of 30, he had created one of the largest empires of the ancient world. But after he died, his empire fell apart. This resulted in the establishment of several states ruled by Alexander's surviving generals and heirs. Alexander's settlement of Greek colonists and the resulting spread of Greek culture in the East resulted in what is called the Hellenistic period. Oh, that's a new one for me. Cleopatra was the last Egyptian ruler as the queen of Egypt centered in Alexandria. But she wasn't actually Egyptian. She was Macedonian a descendant of Ptolemy, a Greek general and companion of Alexander the Great. Ptolemy took control of Egypt and his descendants ruled Egypt during what is known as the Ptolemaic dynasty. The Egyptians begrudgingly accepted the Ptolemites as the successors of the pharaohs of Egypt, and the Ptolemies took on the traditions of the Egyptian pharaohs. They had themselves portrayed on public monuments in Egyptian style and dress and participated in Egyptian religious life. The Ptolemies were portrayed as gods and temples to the Ptolemies were erected throughout the kingdom. But Cleopatra's suicide at Egypt's conquest by Rome marked the end of the Ptolemic rule in Egypt. The city developed into a major port and became an important stop on the trade routes between Europe and Asia. Under Roman control, Alexandria remained the capital of Egypt, but during the 4th century CE, Common Era, formerly referred to as AD, (laughs) Mm -hmm. civil war, famine, and disease ravaged the city's populace. And in the 7th century, Muslim armies swept into Egypt and bypassed Alexandria in favor of Cairo, which became the new capital. Napoleon invaded Egypt in 1798. He recognized Alexandria's strategic importance and initiated the revival. After Napoleon was defeated in 1815, Egypt fell back under the control of the Ottoman Empire, led by General Muhammad Ali Pasha. Under his control, a new town was built on top of the old one. Egypt flourished after the Suez Canal opened in 1869. Every time I look at these dates, I'm like, how much long, how how far away is this from slavery? So uh, it's like uh, pretty much four yeah, years. Still- yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and Alexandria became one of the Mediterranean's busiest ports, attracting a cosmopolitan mix of people. In 1882, during a period of civil unrest, British forces invaded and then occupied Egypt. During this time, the number of foreigners in the country rose from 10,000 in the 1840s to around 90,000 in the 1880s and more than 1.5 million by the 1930s. Foreign nationals benefited from the British occupation, but the British did very little to improve the way of life for the Egyptian people. 
They weren't brutal occupiers, but they failed miserably at making the conditions livable to the citizens of Egypt and were oblivious to the suffering of the Egyptians. So Alexandria was a cosmopolitan resort city, but with great economic and class disparity. Alexandria was a paradise to the foreigners and the Egyptian elites, but the common people were living in squalor. So now we are going to get into the killer's early life, at least what we know about it. Take it away, Beth. Yeah, so this is another one of those old historical stories where accurate information is difficult to discern. So we did the best we could, but please forgive us if we get something wrong. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Rhea and Sakina Ali Hammam were born to an indigent family in a remote village of Upper Egypt. Rhea was born around 1875 and Sakina was born about 10 years later. Their father abandoned the family and nothing is known about him. The sisters grew up with their mother and older brother. The mother is said to have been an egocentric woman who was unable to bestow love on her children. And the brother was a wastrel. Uh, I don't know what that word means. Wastrel. <laughs> <laughs> is somebody, Should we look it up? No, it's, it's somebody who um, basically a waste of space. <laughs> Oh, like a shit bag. Yes, oh, yes. A wastrel. Mm, That's I'm how I remember it. That. I remember words like that, like waste, <laughs> wastrel, waste of space, waste, waste of, of skin. Space. Okay. <laughs> and uh, he had a hard time finding a job. Desperate to get by, their mother reportedly introduced them to the life of crime. The sisters did work off and on in cafes or selling roasted vegetables, but they probably also sometimes joined their mother in robberies. Sakina, the younger sister, occasionally sold her body for fruit and vegetables. The family moved around a lot before settling in the village of Al-Zayat in the Nile Delta. After marriage and divorce, Sakina fled the village with a lover, Lava, in the city of Tanta, North Cairo. She left him, worked for a few months as a sex worker, then took off with a new lover, Lava, to Alexandria in 1913. Three years later, after having been widowed, Rhea also went to Alexandria with her new husband, Hezbollah Said, her deceased husband's brother. It was uh, apparently a common tradition in Egypt at the time for a widow to marry her dead husband's brother. Mm. And she brought her daughter, Badea. No offense. I love my brother-in-law very much. But if my husband dies, I am <laughs> not, not marrying him. <laughs> interested. <laughs> so some sources say that uh, Hezbollah was a thief and hashish smuggler and that Raya and Hezbollah were banished from Karf al-Zayat for smuggling hashish. Sakina also had a new boyfriend or husband, I guess we don't know. He's referred to differently in different articles, so that's why we don't know. His name was Mohammed Abdel Al. With the outbreak of World War One and the economic crisis that struck Egypt's cotton industry, in which the partners of Rhea and Sakina both worked, the two couples decided to establish secret public houses. These kinds of places were widespread in Egypt's big cities, where visitors drank liquor and smoked hashish. Some were also brothels. Apparently, sex work was legal under British rule. Beth, I think you say brothel funny. Brothel? <laughs> you say brothel. And it's brothel. 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 Yeah. Brothel. I just think you say it funny. <laughs> it's, come, it's come up in past episodes. I'm like, why did you say it like that? Anyway. No, I don't know. I just do. <laughs> brothel. Brothel. 
brothel brothel uh, okay okay i'll hey, try harder you, you you do you girl you do you um i lost my you spot, do you so I'm really just killing time um okay so here okay, here we go so they open at least five of these establishments the two couples then joined forces with orabi and abdul razik a pair of local thugs uh, for protection. And by the way, uh, welcome to Culture Corner. Um, the term thug is kind of racist uh, and uh, we shouldn't use it. <laughs> All right. Um, so a pair of local what? Criminals. 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 OK, so go ahead yeah. and say it. Do you want to say okay. it again? Or, yeah, or do you want to leave Culture Corner in there? I, I want to leave it and we'll do okay. a Culture Corner because we haven't done right. we haven't done it like a thorough one in a while. So so why is thug uh, considered racist? Um, because some would say that it's synonymous with the N word, and particularly oh, really? when yeah when um the Ferguson events happened after I think was it Michael Michael Brown? There were so many police shootings, but on the news. All they kept describing these young black people who were angry, it was using the T word, was thug. Uh, And um, somebody went on the news and and, and was so furious. He said, why don't you just call them N-words? Because that's exactly what you guys want to say, but you can't. And so thug is like a cover, a cover word for an N-word, a young brown or black kid or a person who is doing things that the white establishment considers to be unruly. And so I see that's it's it's well, I'm white, so um not always aware of these things, of course. Yeah. Um, when I think of thug, I think of like what comes to mind usually first thing is like a mafioso or something, you know. Ah. Yeah, like the good fellas, like the good, yeah, like yeah, the guys and good fellas, <laughs> the guys well, and good yeah, fellas. They're not, they're not in the upper echelon. They're in the lower echelon, and they're there to protect the other guys, or yeah, you know, to beat people yeah. up or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what I always mm-hmm. think of. So. You know, well, I think, and and this is another thing, Fruit Lips is a safe space where we get to talk about these things about this and, stuff, and yeah. work them out, and and not and not have any judgment. I think maybe in the past that was an accurate description. But I think that since the Black Lives Matter movement and um, uh, more um, these, these crimes against, you know, these police shooting black people and, and and then the the Black um, Lives Matter movement protests, I think that it's fair that the definition has shifted um, because you can only say so much on um, cable TV news, right? Yeah. And they they want to say one thing, but they can't. So if so they, they could use the N word, yeah. they would. Yeah. So they say that the thug word, and so yeah. Now that I, I'm thinking I, of it, I would never. I, I don't think I would ever describe a black man as a thug because I I think I knew deep down that 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 is racist or or mm-hmm. uh offensive would be offensive uh, so yeah i don't think i would ever say that yeah but they do on the news a lot because yeah, they can't say yeah. the other word right. and so um 
this is a tangent, but it's an important one because the 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 context that we um, got the uh, information for this uh, story used that word. And yeah, so and it was wanted, an old article. I think it was from a newspaper mm-hmm. from uh, some time ago. So yeah, and so we've we've yeah. we've a language has evolved. Like we, I think we know now that it's a word that you probably shouldn't use. And if somebody uses that word, you bet you got a better question their motives because <laughs> they are clearly not informed and not a good person okay. so, <laughs> so anyway uh, yeah we won't use that word all right we, yeah so these guys so these, these uh, guys these guys these criminals <laughs> yes yes they did all this stuff for protection and they acted as uh bouncers for the establishment's and uh, made sure that all of the customers paid their bills. There are differing accounts on whether or not their establishments were actually brothels. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to call, no, I'm gonna like, pay call attention. you out. Like, I, don't want to, I don't want you to be weird about it or anything. <laughs> brothels. <laughs> the sisters later strenuously denied that they allowed sex work in their establishments, but it was widely understood that they did. They were also known to be places where secret lovers could go for trysts. Mm, trysts. I love yes. that word. Yes. Um, <laughs> but in any case, the group prospered during World War One. But afterwards, amid rising national agitation in Egypt, things began to spiral downward. There was a popular uprising in March of 1919, which called for independence and removal of the British. Yeah, get those colonizers out of here. As Egypt pushed for self-rule, the economy plummeted, and so did their businesses. The couple's economic situation had deteriorated to the point where they started to steal food. Hezbollah was caught and imprisoned, and then his wife, Rhea, was also incarcerated for six months. The group had to scrounge for another source of revenue. Things are getting hot. Um, Here we go. Here we go. go. So now we're in the timeline. Now we're diving in to the splish splash fuckery. Here we go. (laughs) By November of 1919, the British authorities were busy quelling public resentment at Britain's occupation of Egypt and general law and order had declined. Rhea and Sakina took advantage of this situation since in the midst of the chaos, Nobody was really paying much attention to what these ladies were doing. Mm, well, being a lady has its advantages because yeah. nobody is care- nobody cares what we say or do. <laughs> People don't even hear me in meetings when I'm speaking directly at them. So anyway, <laughs> at the time, Egyptian women did not deposit their money in banks, but instead they invested in gold jewelry, which they wore on their person. These were the women that the sisters preyed upon. The gang's first victim was Hanim Raya's neighbor who Raya knew had bought some new jewelry. Maybe this was an impetuous act because Sakina was not in on it. After murdering Hanim, Raya went to fetch Sakina. When the two sisters arrived at Raya's home, Sakina found her husband and brother-in-law, along with Abdul Razik and Arabi, digging a grave. 
whoa uh what are you guys up to over there <laughs> yeah what are you doing <laughs> oh no big deal just uh digging a little uh hole digging no, a grave. <laughs> no problem uh would you like a tv dinner no big deal here uh <laughs> Uh, so Sakina then returned to see Hanin's body laying open-eyed beneath a bench and was about to scream when Raya <laughs> threatened to do the same to her if she uttered a word. Sakina was handed a share, which amounted to three Egyptian pounds. This crime was then repeated with other victims. The sisters would lure women to their homes and would get the victim drunk. One of the men would stuff a wet cloth in her mouth and the other would suffocate her. The men then removed the jewelry from the corpse, and the sisters took it to a goldsmith who was in on it. The goldsmith would buy the jewelry, and the proceeds would be divided between them. This is quite the scam. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, so let's see. Between November 1919 to November 1920, the women were disappearing in Alexandria. The first missing person report that came to the police was filed by the mother of a 25-year-old, Nazla Abu Al-Lai, who was wearing gold wristlets, a silver anklet, and earrings, and two gold rings when she went missing. After this, a man reported that his sister Zanuba had gone to the market, met Rhea, and never returned. A young 15-year-old girl reported that her mother, a poultry woman, I don't know what a poultry woman is, somebody who sells chicken? I think so. Okay. I don't know. In any case, her mother had gone missing. This report was followed by that of a man whose 50-year-old wife called Fatma Abdurabu had gone missing. She had 54 pounds on her, 18 gold wristlets, a couple of gold bracelets, and a pair of earrings. I'm just, like, picturing this gold jewelry on this, these beautiful women's, like, brown skin and just, like... Yeah. My mouth is watering. Like, uh, <laughs> it, I just, I just love the sight on jewelry on um, black and brown women. I just think yeah. it is so gorgeous, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Missing reports came in continuously, one after the other. The next victim was uh, a kerosene seller who was living alone in Al Laban. A Sudanese woman reported her daughter Farduas missing in mysterious circumstances. She was wearing jewelry worth 60 pounds. Um, that's British money, so I don't know what that really means. A gold bracelets uh, costing 35 pounds and earrings and a gold necklace. Common details in the reports included that the missing persons were all females and that the missing women were known to be wearing gold jewelry. Another common detail was that many of the missing women were last seen with both or either one of the two sisters. Uh oh, uh -uh. we got you, bitches. <laughs> um, in the case of the missing woman named Farduas, Sakina's name was mentioned as someone she had been seen with, and she was brought in for questioning. Sakina was actually questioned several times, but female perpetrated crime was something that was simply I've heard of. And the fact that the sisters were seen with some of the victims was not sufficient for the police to consider them to be strong suspects. They had no evidence. 
Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps, but there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruit Loops HQ. Oh yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp, and especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times, Mm -hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings and experiences. Amen. Yes. And uh, now I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fruit. That's betterhelp.com slash fruit. So now we are going to dive into the investigation and the arrest. So hit it, Beth. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) The police became inundated with complaints about missing persons. And then on December 11th, 1920, a police officer discovered human remains on the side of the road near one of the sisters' residences. The completely dismembered body was damaged beyond all recognition, except for its long braided black hair. My goodness. Around the same time, a landlord was fixing the water pipes in a home that Sakina had formerly rented. When he began digging, he was soon overwhelmed by a terrible stench, and when his shovel encountered something hard, he groped around in the earth and realized he was holding human bones. Mm. (laughs) Spooky. Yeah. Suspicions (laughs) turned to Sakina, the previous tenant in that building. A short while later, a police officer noticed an exceptionally strong scent of incense coming out of Rhea's house on a daily basis. When he asked her about it, she replied that she was simply trying to get rid of the smell of alcohol and smoke from inside her establishment. But the officer reported this to the authorities who knew that Rhea was Sakina's sister. The police commissioner then ordered a search of Rhea's home. Police noticed that floor tiles in a certain part of the house were newer than others. The commissioner ordered that the tiles be removed and a heavy stench rose from below. Police officers then arranged Uh, for the floor to be dug and discovered corpses of two women and remains of a third, which turned out to be far to us. Police then decided to search all of the houses that Rhea and Sakina had previously lived in. Within a week, police unearthed 15 female corpses and the remains of two other women in a number of buildings. Unfortunately, most of the women could not be identified. Mm, That's too bad. Uh, The sisters and their partners were arrested along with the goldsmith and a few other women who were suspected of involvement. The investigation lasted a few months with the suspects each accusing the others of committing the crimes. Come on, when you get interrogated by the police, you are not supposed to snitch. (laughs) They snitched and pointed fingers. Snitches get stitches, (laughs) y'all. Come on. One story says that Rhea's nine-year-old daughter, Badea, was a key witness in the investigations and confessed to seeing her family members suffocating women and burying them under the floor of their houses, where they would sit down, eat, and carry on with their lives as if nothing ever happened. 
Oh, Lord have mercy. The investigators pieced together a picture of the way the murders were committed. The medical examiner testified that the women were killed by suffocation rather than strangulation because the larynxes of the victims were uninjured. Investigators surmised that this form of murder was most likely committed after having administered to the victim a dosage of drugs. Allegedly, Sakina, the younger sister, held out the longest under interrogation and refused to admit anything. But Rhea eventually broke down and made a series of confessions. Eventually, Sakina said that Muhammad and Hezbollah would strangle the women and bury their bodies in the houses where they were eventually discovered. In December of 1920, a rumor spread that Raya and Sakina were on display in the zoo. What the fuck? (laughs) People flocked to the zoo to see... To see the two notorious sisters. The rumor was totally unfounded, and the newspaper Al Haram remarked that the rumor itself indicated that the Egyptian people not only wished to strip Raya and Sakina of their qualities as women, but also as human beings. Um, hmm. I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, um, it's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah. It, Let's go see the murderers in the zoo. <laughs> now we're going to get into the uh, trial of uh, these um, murderers. So hit it, Beth. The trial of Rhea and Sakina lasted three days from May 10th to the 12th, 1921. There were 10 defendants, three were women, and the court heard the testimony of 31 witnesses. Sakina was the more aggressive during questioning, standing up to interrupt testimony and arguing during the questioning of some witnesses. Nine witnesses had been brought in for the defense. Six withdrew, and the remaining three didn't have much to offer to the defense. The four defense lawyers didn't have much to base their case on. Their strategy was to deny the charges against the particular client and then shift the blame to one or more of the other defendants. And um, that's a that's a pretty um, common Standard, defense yeah. strategy. Yeah, it's, it's let's let's get them all pointing the finger at each other and then everybody else. Yeah. Hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> the trial attracted a lot of attention as the Egyptian justice system had never seen a case like this. In one Egyptian newspaper, Al Aram, it was written that the case of Rhea and Sakina was in a class of its own. Quote, their crime has exceeded all bounds of human nature and rational behavior to reach a level of barbarism and savagery of unbridled evil. <laughs> they really don't mince words. And I wonder no. if this has to do with the fact that these are women, are lady yes. killers. Yes, I'm and, pretty and, sure. And the yeah. media is like... If you look at the, the photos we were talking about earlier today, um, we found some photos of them that are untouched and they mm-hmm. look pretty normal, you know, um, yeah. and then there's other ones that are like all over the Internet. Uh, the ones that they usually have in the articles and mm-hmm. and they look, uh, I don't know, they it, it looks like they Dishe- were very disheveled, disheveled and uh, old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't look normal. They look kind of weird. Almost unhuman. Yeah, because it looks like they, they doctored these photos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They really so dehumanize women. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I do think they dehumanize them. And that's not to say, I mean... Oh gosh, people! And <laughs> we we I had we got some recent reviews, and and people are like, oh, "You guys are trash." But 
um, we <laughs> do our best to um, give respect to the victims and we are not in any way like discounting the fact that um, they killed innocent people. Um, right. But again, context is everything. And so um, I think all these things are important parts of the story is talking about um their their upbringing and um, their demeanor and how their trial went and how they were treated while they went through the justice system. It's all relevant. Yeah, it's all relevant and it's all information. It's um, interesting. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you can have all the bags of dicks if you're not into it. That's cool. <laughs> On, uh, <laughs> so on uh, May 16th, 1921, Rhea and Sakina, their husbands, and Orabi and Abdul Razik, uh, the two uh, quote-unquote criminals, thugs, we're, we're not going to use that word anymore because it's racist, who had taken part in the actual murders of the 17 women were sentenced to death by hanging intense. Wow. Three of of the defendants were found innocent, while the goldsmith Ali Muhammad Hassan was sentenced to five years in prison for his part in the crimes. The newspaper Ali Ram, one of the reporters at the court, described the spectators' reaction at the end of the trial. Quote, Pandemonium broke out in the place. After about a quarter of an hour, the commotion subsided and the people started to leave the courthouse. As for the condemned, they were taken off to prison, Ray and Sakina to the women's prison, and the rest to Al Hadra prison. Okay, so now we're going to get into where are they now? I'll tell you. On December 21st, 1921, Raya and Sakina were executed. They donned red execution garments, like scarlet letter style, which Mm -hmm. were specially tailored for them as they were the first females to be handed a death sentence in modern Egypt. The next day, their husbands were also executed. During the trial, Rhea's daughter, Badea, was placed in an orphanage, and three years later, she died in a fire that broke out there. Some believe that a relative of one of the victims set the orphanage on fire to avenge her mother's deeds, but... Wow. That's just a rumor. We don't know, um, but it's pretty sad. It is. Oh, that poor girl. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so the case of Raya and Sakina is infamous in Egypt. It became a source of inspiration for books, plays, and films. Many Egyptian and Arab tourists continue to visit the Laban area to see Raya and Sakina's home and the neighboring old police station where the initial investigations took place. For years, Raya and Sakina were perceived as betrayers of the bread and salt relations of friendship. In many cultures, eating bread and salt together or basically eating together, is supposed to form a bond of trust. In Arab cultures, eating bread and salt with a friend is considered to create a moral obligation to each other. Arabs use phrases such as, there are bread and salt between us, and salt between them, as terms of alliance. And uh, there's a scene in Game of Thrones where enemies eat bread and salt together as a symbol of truce, trust, and honor. It's supposed to mean that nobody there will be harmed. And in Mm -hmm. the story, to break this code is considered to be the worst kind of betrayal. And uh, just go off on a tangent, George R.R. Martin (laughs) took a lot of inspiration from actual history and customs. Oh, that 
That is fascinating. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Beth. You're welcome. Yeah, for sure. For shizzle, so, my so that was That was white nerd culture corner. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, <laughs> I always talk about how it's 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 funny to me how like white people don't like understand like black food or like black hair or black anything but like as a black person in the united states i have to know every You're expected single, to know all I, the white stuff i have stuff, to understand yeah. all the white stuff just to survive so it's just it's just really cool that like george r, <laughs> r. martin is like down <laughs> so uh <laughs> and you too hashtag be like beth um so uh because raya and sakina broke the code they were portrayed as evil fearful of the hold the names of the two sisters still have in the popular imagination mothers in egypt have all but stopped giving the names raya and sakina to their daughters that's wild yeah those are pretty names yeah they are and i thought it was interesting that this is such an infamous case and yet I've never heard of it before we started looking that, into yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, yeah. I've, I've, what? Ryan Sakina, <laughs> yeah. uh, Ali Hamam sisters. Like, okay. What? <laughs> but it's infamous there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, to Give the me point another where... episode about Ted Bundy. No thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what the world needs is one more episode about Ted yeah. Bundy. <laughs> my fucking god <laughs> we're done with that guy is he dead yet oh or is yeah he still he's, in jail no he's dead he's oh, been okay, dead good. for a long nah, time we don't need, yeah we don't need to yeah. talk about him anymore no <laughs> so these days the sisters are more often perceived as also having been victims themselves victims of a loveless childhood exploitation by family members and the men in their lives victims of poverty and the political and social situation during the British occupation. Yeah, they weren't coming up in a in a in a great Good time. time um, yeah. So yeah, I mean context. Yep. Uh so now we are going to get into what we believe uh made the killer snap as well as our takeaways. So hit it, Beth. So as Wendy always says, hurt people hurt people. And uh I do think that they were victims of poverty and a shitty childhood, possibly manipulation by other people. And I wonder how mm -hmm. much influence their men had over them. I don't know. Um maybe oh, they right. we don't we didn't know we don't hear know. much about yeah. their involvement. Yeah, the, the, the stories the were all about the, the sisters, and it could be that they were not the aggressors. They they might have been, but um, mm -hmm. historically, the men usually are. And it's no excuse for what they did. But I think in the face of poverty, people will do a lot that they don't think that they're capable of doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, poverty is really painful. And when yeah. you are in poverty, you will do whatever it takes to get out of that pain if you yeah. can. Um, I also think that it, it, just just in terms of serial killers who are females, um, there is always seems to be this sex work element to it. And I also think that that kind of glamorizes female serial killers. Uh, to a certain extent, like media wise, you know uh, yeah, what I mean? Like the story, yeah. the story is sexier if there is like sex involved. Yeah, um, that's true. And, and I, and I, I, I mean, think some of the stories uh, talked about Sakina a lot because she she did sex work and mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, they talked about how awful she was because because yeah. of that or or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I I just thought that that was interesting, and I and I wonder if I mean the story the story would be the same if you didn't have the element of sex work involved in it. Yeah. In it. Like you could just take all the sex stuff out and it would still be a story about two sisters who killed 17 or more people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then buried anyway, their I bodies just, in their house. And buried, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I just, Which I just I think, think it's more interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, we've talked about this before when, when, when the media reports on female serial killers and as particularly female serial killers of color there's always either a sex element or like a witchcraft element to voodoo it you know what i mean something. like uh, yeah, yeah like all the black all the black female serial killers are vo- are like voodoo practitioners and, yeah. and they're really not it's just the, the media doesn't know how to report on them you know yeah, what i mean yeah. so anyway yeah. i just wanted to bring that up those, that's yeah. that's my takeaway. And I think when there's poverty involved, you know, women will do what whatever they have to do Absolutely. to get by. And so sex mm-hmm. work is something that they can fall back on. So um mm-hmm. I think I think that's why a lot of these stories have sex work in them. Yeah, you're yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. I mean, um I don't know if Paris Hilton um would have to resort to sex work. Ever, <laughs> uh, she will be all right. Yeah, but uh, you know, some of us at the bottom of the barrel, like sometimes we just have no choice. Gotta, gotta do what you gotta do, man. Gotta do what you gotta do. That's what my daughter and I today we were trying to think of all those kind of sayings. Like, gotta do what you gotta do. It's the nature of the creature. It is what it is. It is what it is. Um, by the way, I have a friend who taught. Um, she would do sex education classes for prisoners in Maricopa County prisons. Oh, wow. And she learned a ton of sexy tricks from <laughs> these female sex workers. And wow. one of them, one of them is called the Welcome to Culture Corner. <laughs> it's called cheeking. So it's when um, a sex worker has a condom in her cheek. And when she uh, goes to a John to um, perform oral sex, he doesn't realize that she's putting a condom on, but oh, it's, wow. it's a way for her to be safe, be safe. and not, yeah. yeah, and not, and and so he doesn't notice, and he 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 gets his rocks Dollies, off, and she gets yeah. her she gets her money, yeah, and and everybody is safe. Wow. So anyway, um, that that's has a been, that's a neat trick. I thought so too, and she showed yeah. us how to do it at a party <laughs> one time. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> So now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. <clears throat> so if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> <laughs> so hit it, Beth. This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of the segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. All right. So here we go. Um, These are generic tips uh, because I've never been to Egypt 
nor have I ever um, killed anybody. So uh, <laughs> these are just some generic tips. generic tips. So always, always be alert and aware of the people around you. Head on a swivel, as we always say. Be aware of locations and situations which would make you appear vulnerable to crime, such as alleys and dark parking lots. Whenever possible, travel with a friend. Me and Beth were just at a podcast event. <laughs> We were like trying to like coordinate like parking next to each other so we can get yeah, murdered. so we can uh, <laughs> walk back to our cars together. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I said something so dark. I was like, "What did I say?" Oh, well, if somebody else kills me, then I don't have to do it myself. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> so if you want to kill Wendy, my address is <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Eat a bag of dicks. Yeah, eat a bag of dicks. Anyway, uh, so stay in well-lighted areas as much as possible. Um, walk close to the curb. Avoid doorways, bushes, and alleys where someone could hide. Walk confidently at a space. Beth always Beth always says when she when she walks when she's by herself, she like in her head says, "I'm gonna fucking kill you," and that really works. That energy it does, really works. Right? Like if you just say it in your head, nah, nobody's I gonna will mess with you. Fucking kill you. <laughs> Uh, make eye contact with people when walking uh do not respect or, or do not respond to conversation from strange, strangers do on the street respect. <laughs> don't respect so do not respond to conversation from strangers on the street continue walking if you carry a purse carry it securely between your arm and your body although a purse snatcher's intent is to steal the purse your personal safety may depend on not clinging to it. But so you might have to let it go. You might have to let it go. But uh, I was going to say something dark about I don't want to have to pay my student loans anymore. So you can take my student loans and my life. Uh, it's do all not, in my purse. Do not, go ahead. Take it. <laughs> Bye. Uh, do not use or wear anything that will impede your vision or hearing, i.e. iPods or like... Um, uh, you know, just Headphones keep or, one keep yeah. one headphone out so you can kind of yeah. know what's going on. Yeah. Um. So now we're gonna get into some serial killer and true crime news. Extra, extra. Read all about it, <laughs> Beth. Ooh, this looks. This one looks juicy. In Detroit, between February 2018 and June 2019, bodies have been found in abandoned buildings in Detroit. Social media rumors circulated that there was a serial killer in downtown Detroit, but the police department denied it, saying there is false information circulating and this is not true. Well, guess what? Uh, <laughs> it's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to take the word of any police department ever. I am certain they are lying. In June of this year, D'Angelo Martin, 34, was arrested in connection with a sexual assault of a 26-year-old woman. Police suspect he is connected to other attacks and has been charged in the stabbing and sexual assault of one woman in May and the kidnapping and assault of another woman in June. He has also been charged in connection with the deaths of Nancy Harrison, 52, Trevisine Ellis, 53, Tamara Jones, 55, and Annetta Nelson, 57. The remains of another woman found in an abandoned building has now been identified as Deborah Reynolds, 64, and it is believed that she is another victim of D'Angelo's and she was last seen in his company. So that's really sad. Yeah. 
So future episode. Yeah, no, and um, it's kind of interesting that a handful of them are over 45. They're all older. The women who were killed, they were all older yeah. women. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Oh, well, so yes. We'll keep our Added eyes on that list. one. Yes, yeah. we sure will. Um, thank you, Beth. So um, sure. now we're going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any marginalized groups and also any true crime goodies. So I wanted to shout out a group. Um, this is something I've been wanting to shout out for a while. They were recommended to us by Marlene Miller, who's one of our hey, fruit- mean green Marlene. Yeah. <laughs> She's one of one of our Fruit Loops pod squad. Um, yeah. she, she turned on to these guys and their name is the snotty nose res kids <laughs> <laughs> they're native hip-hop they're just really good <laughs> she oh, posted awesome. yeah she posted a song uh, slash video in our group and it's called uh, bougie natives oh. i must have listened to that song like <laughs> 10 times in a row i i love it yeah, and i'm obsessed <laughs> <laughs> and I also wanted to mention that Marlene Miller has done some of the, the music that we play in our podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you look in our footnotes and you can see which which songs she's she's yeah, contributed she's so to fucking talented. It's, yeah, it's, she, she is. She blows me away. Yeah. Um, and the fact that she's like. I mean, I can't I can't wait to meet you, mean green Marlene Miller. Like <laughs> yeah. I cannot wait. Like you are just so dope. And thank you so much for just like fucking with us and um, you know, po- helping being us active, out ha- and being helping active. us. Yeah. yeah. No, like she's she really is like Fruit Loops Pod Squad, like Queen Bee, like, yeah. yeah, she's the Queen Bee of, of our podcast. So thank you, Marlene. We yeah, love you so much. and thank you for introducing us to the Snotty Nose Res Kids. I love them. Yes, yes. Are they? I saw the post, but I haven't checked if they're on Spotify. I'm going to have to. They are. I think they are. To them. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure because I, I have it somewhere, and I think it's Spotify. Okay. Cool. 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 I cool. Subscribe to them somewhere. <laughs> Hey, speaking of Spotify, Fruit Loops is on Spotify, so yes, yes. like and subscribe. <laughs> like um, and subscribe. So, speaking of, where can the people find us, Ben? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone. Or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our podcast being patron page this will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting there's no minimum and no commitment even a dollar would help we also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch all the things beth said are a hundred percent true uh (laughs) this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every thursday so until next time look alive guys it's crazy out there
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder... All this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. 